How can the story of two poor Irishmen and their partners still be one which both fascinates and repels us almost 200 years later? Why can it still take top billing in a cinema? Do we need to be responsible when retelling the story? And just how relevant is the Birkenhare tale today? We consider the answers to these questions in our Virtual History podcast. Our third podcast on the horrors of the Westport murderers looks at the possible relevance of these murders today. We've got another exhibition for you that focuses on the Cowgate era of Edinburgh's old town and a rare, downloadable newspaper report on the trial and execution of William Burke. And we've got a winner from our previous competition. This podcast, just to remind you, isn't entirely scripted, so there will be the inevitable air um type things, not to mention a variety of other noises in the studio. In our last podcast, we began to look at the two most famous body snatchers in British history, Williams Burke and Hare. We also discovered that there's absolutely no evidence that either of these two Irishmen ever tried to dig up a corpse, and we spent some time exploring the modus operandi of Burke and Hare. In this episode, we spend some time reflecting on the Burke and Hare story and how it may be relevant to this very day. The story of these troubled times is covered in Birdie Snatchers and Burke and Hare, an interactive guided tour around their Edinburgh. This is now available for online purchase from www.actualeducation.co.uk and if you go there you'll find links to our previous podcasts, previous resources and previous exhibits. At Actual Education we want to produce unique interactive guided tours that take you virtually to the places where history actually happened. We don't do this thinking we're replacing a proper visit to the site, a reality reality tour you could say, but we build our virtual tours so that you can retrace them easily. Why take a Burke and Hare tour, real or virtual? Why bother doing one of these things? Well, to stand in the place where we know Burke and Hare took the corpses of their murdered victims and handed them over to staff from Dr. Robert Knox's Anatomy Theatre is a fairly intense feeling. If you know the story and you know what happened and you're standing in the place where it actually physically went on, then that's always the kind of thing that sends shivers down our spine. To know that you're walking the same streets as Burke and Hare and to visit places where they stalked, confronted or even killed their victims gives you a real sense of history, a real feeling of what went on. Seeing the Burke and Hare story as some kind of ghosts and ghouls story forgets that the victims were real people whose families suffered the same sort of pain that anyone would today if they lost a family member. And I think on that note, it would be fair to make a brief mention of the recent Burke and Hare film that's come out. I should make it clear that I haven't yet seen the film, but to me, taking a, a subject like Burke and Hare and making a comedy film on it, regardless of how dark this humour is, um, is, makes me quite uncomfortable. Burke and Hare were real people, as were their victims. Compare that to the first series of Whitechapel, which was shown on mainstream British TV in 2009. The plotline of this television programme is that a copycat serial killer is killing in the same way as that most famous of serial killers, Jack the Ripper. I bought the DVD of this series, and in the special features section, there's a very revealing interview with one of the creative team behind the series. She talks about the use of archive photographs of the Ripper's victims, or rather she talks about their lack of use of these archive photographs. Photographs are incredibly well known, and they show the unfortunate woman. Now, what kind of got me, uh, I got my respect certainly, was this team 
they, out of respect for these victims and any family that they might still have alive today, the series went into extra length of using actors and makeup to mimic almost perfectly the original pictures. It would have been so much easier and cheaper, I imagine, just to use the photographs of the actual woman, but they didn't do that. This is something that I find very interesting, and I hope that on our range of tours, and we've covered some fairly gory subjects. Old Edinburgh wasn't the nicest of places to live in, and like many other places in the medieval age right up to the Enlightenment period and onwards, there were some pretty horrific things happened. It's something that I hope that we manage to get through in our range of tours. Now, I could be doing the recent Burke and Hare film a bit of a disservice, but that concept of still respecting people who died almost 200 years ago is one which I find really important. And I think if you're dealing with proper history, that's something you've always got to bear in mind, that you're talking about real events, real places, and real people. Now, obviously, the people are dead, same as the Jack the Ripper people, but it could be your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandmother. There still could be connections out there. Now, I hope the film pleasantly surprises me when I see it. I'm looking forward to it, I must say. If you've got any comments on this, if you feel that we've done it well or we've done it particularly badly, then please email us. Email is sales at actualeducation.co.uk. So, the other thing that I thought about was, why try and understand the actions of serial killers 200 years ago? Well, as far as I can see it, there are still parts of the Burke and Hare story that are relevant today. Burke and Hare were able to kill and kill again because they attacked people in the so-called bottom rung of society. People who often had no one to notice that they disappeared. People who were down on their luck and who the usual forces of law and order were unable to offer as much protection to. For example, lawyers, bankers, doctors or other professionals. They would always been fairly well protected, fairly high profile, so that if something happened to them there would be an immediate outcry. Burke and Hare chose people very different from that as their victims. Edinburgh today still has elements of its... Jekyll and Hyde past, if you like. We've got a veneer of responsibility and respectability. We have the palace, the Scottish Parliament, for example. Uh, recent television programmes, recent news reports show that we also have a huge drug problem. We have a, and a massive sex trafficking problem. Particularly looking at that issue, that's something that's taken advantage of many women who've come from other countries. We don't have someone here to look after them. We don't know the way law and order works. We don't feel they have recourse to law and order. Exactly the same things that affected the Burke and Hare victims. We also still have a very large homeless population. Poverty might not be as horrific in Edinburgh as it was 200-odd years ago, but it's still very, very hard. Still very hard for some people. Unfortunately, I've never experienced that, but um, it is out there. Elements of this unfortunate indictment of Edinburgh today can still be seen in a story from Edinburgh's past, the past of Birkenhair, and in particular the story of young Mary Patterson. Now, there's been some new research on this, which is really interesting, actually, by a lady called Lisa Rosner, and we've included links to her website and also the Amazon link for the book that she's recently published. Um, She delved into Mary Patterson in her past. Traditionally, the the view was that Mary Patterson was a prostitute, and that's kind of where we stopped the research. She was a prostitute. That was the end of it. Well, Lisa Rosner, I think, has taken it a step further and gone, well, no, she wasn't just a prostitute, she was a woman. And here's her story. This is what led her into this trade. Patterson and one of her friends, a lady called Janet Brown, were lured by William Burke into the house used by his brother Constantine, or Con Burke, in Gibbs Close in the Canongate area of town. Now, as we've mentioned time and time again, Burke and Hare usually targeted people that weren't going to be noticed if they didn't turn up somewhere. This time they'd picked on two. They'd picked on Janet Brown and Mary Patterson. Patterson, obviously died. She was the one that was the most famous of the victim. Certainly the story is that when her body was taken to the anatomy lab there was a bit of a gasp because some of the students and doctors in the audience recognised her, probably for having taken advantage of her in her professional capacity, if you like. 
The horrific problems of poverty in Edinburgh we looked at last week, but it would take around 40 years from the death of Burke and Hare, or sorry, from the death of William Burke, for the Improvement Act to sweep away the more appalling areas of Edinburgh's old town. Accounts by doctors and a variety of learned gentlemen, and we use that in inverted commas, of life in the closes and winds of the old town for those who were able to afford only the poorest housing are revealing. And in the mid-1800s, there were occasional forays and expeditions to reveal just how hard life in these areas was for people. What's um, quite interesting is how much detail they go into about the prevalence of alcohol. It's a very sort of Victorian middle-class approach to it. One survey looked at the amount of alcohol that was drunk in a house, multiplied it over the number of houses that were in the close, and then worked out how much money they probably, the people in that close had probably spent in alcohol, and then worked out, you know, you could have used this money for so many better things, which is a fairly patronising attitude, I have to say. You also had somebody else who went in and counted the number of Bibles that were available per house. That's, I don't want to get involved in the religious side of things, but whilst their souls might have been saved by being keenly religious, Catholic, Protestant, or whatever religion, um, their mortal flesh needed a little bit more help than just the holy book, no matter how important it was to them. I'm not doing any um, saying that a holy book's not important, but if you're on the poverty line, there are probably some other things you could do with as well as that help. What's clear is that many of the accounts written by middle-class people blamed alcohol for the problems in housing, hygiene, and opportunities. It wasn't seen that these problems may have forced many people to turn to the numbness which alcohol provided, just in order to forget their problems. It was a case of, alcohol has caused these problems. It wasn't a case of, these problems have led people into alcoholism. That wasn't really seen. And it was in this area that Burke and Hare were able to murder time and time again and get away with it, because, as we've mentioned before, life was cheap in the old town in Edinburgh, if you're one of the poorer people. Excuse me, this sounds like doom and gloom, but we can also look at the Burke and Hare story for some signs of positivity. There'd soon be people advocating improvements in the conditions of the poor. Groups such as the Salvation Army, and there's actually a Salvation Army base um, just down at the bottom of the Pleasance, a very old Salvation Army building, which we've, we've talked about this area between the Pleasance and St Mary's Wind, or St Mary Street as it is now, and Blackfriars Wind. This was where some of the poorest places were in Edinburgh. Right in the heart of this area then you had the Salvation Army base. Although obviously they came with a Christian religious agenda and one which strongly advocated temperance. There was also Dr Thomas Guthrie in Edinburgh who started schools for ragged children and eventually this work and the work of other people, Bernardo for example, pushed the government to offer free state education for all children. Interestingly, and I haven't researched too much into Dr. Thomas Guthrie yet. I had a quick peek at his Wikipedia page, and what's quite interesting is it makes a comment. Now, I haven't researched this, so I haven't seen this in any other book, so I'm not going to take it as the word of law, but it does make the claim that Dr. Thomas Guthrie studied, studied surgery anatomy under Dr. Robert Knox, who was the same Robert Knox that Burke and Hare sold their corpses to. Well, not their corpses, but the corpses of their victims. So the other thing I think that we'll look in a bit more detail next week when we look at the trial of William Burke, is that although Burke was being accused of some of the most horrific crimes in Edinburgh, some things that really got under the skin of many people that affronted the polite society, is the fact that even then, and even though he was virtually penniless, he was still able to get a good quality lawyer to defend him. Scots law has always been one that we've been particularly proud of. It does still make mistakes, but at this time, it didn't really matter on money. You were still entitled to a, a a degree, a certain standard of legal representation, and I think that's that's something that still happens today. It's something that's still quite nice. 
So to summarise my personal feelings on the questions that we started with, I believe there's always going to be something fascinating about Birkenhair. Can't get away from that. It is a fascinating story for all its goriness and for all its horror. Um, particularly how men who aren't too dissimilar from us, how they can get themselves involved in this. I mean, it's very easy to think of Birkenhair as horrible, horrible monsters and they are totally different and there's maybe psychopathic tendencies and all this kind of stuff, but that's never been proven they were two men who needed the money and found an easy way to get the money. And isn't that the story of crime? I believe that we can be interested in this. It's human nature to be interested in this kind of stuff. But we should never lose sight of the fact that actually we're still dealing with real human beings who committed the crimes, real human beings who are the victims of the crimes. And I think that that deserves it to be treated with a certain amount of respect. Certainly as much respect as we can manage 200 odd years later. Right, so that's kind of reflections on the Burke and Hare story. As I said, next week you'll get the second part of our self-guided tour. This one will take you around the Burke and Hare areas. The first one took you around the Body Snatchers area. We've got a winner from our competition in our last episodes. Our Body Snatchers and Burke and Hare software was launched and to celebrate we asked you to email us the name of the distinctive building which sat at the bottom of Blackfriars Wines one and the answer to that was Cardinal Beaton's Palace. You could have found that out in the exhibition if you didn't actually know the answer yourself. And the winner was Mr. Philip Boyce. Well done, Philip. We'll send you the download link for the Body Snatchers and Burke and Hare software. You can still see that exhibition in our exhibition library page. You need to be a member of the website to access this, but membership is free. You'll never be charged for it, and we treat your privacy very seriously. So sign up. There's nothing to lose out on there. Um, we've included a further set of links to this show. As I said, we've included a link to the Lisa Rosner book, which goes into more detail about the Mary Patterson case. We've also managed to get ourselves up on iTunes, for better or for worse. I'm hoping that this will make it easier for our regular listeners to download this. And it's up and active now. If you type in actual education, then you get brought straight to our page. Our podcast plan has had to change due to the lateness of getting this episode out. So we'll finish the Birkenhair story, as we said, next week. It will come with the free self-guided tour resource. Remember, on our webpage this week, the link that takes you to the podcast, this episode podcast, will also have a button underneath it that says um, resource for downloads. That's 1829 newspaper called The Examiner. That's their January the 4th edition, which goes into looking at the actual trial and execution of William Burke. And then that should be out roughly Sunday, January the 16th, Monday, January the 17th. I'm hoping to get it out for the 17th, but it might be up a day earlier. If you have any questions, as ever, email us, sales at actual education. This has been largely my opinions this time, so if you happen to completely disagree with me, please let me know. It's always good to hear other people's opinions. I think it keeps you alive. If you happen to agree with me, or you've got similar stories that you think show the relevance of the Burke and Hare tale, then fire those off to us as well. Sales at actualeducation.co.uk. Until then, happy virtual exploring. Mm-hmm.